Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Maybe Next Time. I am William Blueworth, my co-host, Simon McCormack. Hello. Hello. It is the day before Labor Day. We are going to record a podcast about D'Angelo Russell's groundbreaking documentary, The Path to the Cap. It is a uh, a sixteen minute new era funded documentary. I think. Do you yeah. know anything about this yes, documentary? Yes, that's right. Um, so we're gonna watch this documentary that probably most people who care about the Nets have already watched. Maybe that is optimistic, Maybe. right? Um, anyway, it's out there. People could have watched it. It's been out for months. Yeah. Uh, I know that it's been waiting, languishing in my queue for months. Yeah. Um, I've been desperate to learn more, get a little peek behind the veil that is D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. So we are going to sit here and uh, watch this movie, come back, and react. That's right. Um, In addition to being great scholars of the Nets, we are also movie buffs. You are. I would, I would say, say I was, and <laughs> I'm not, like, I don't watch enough movies anymore. But um, anyway, I don't think that that disqualifies us from uh, giving our opinions about the movie. No, I think that it's fair to say we are both Nets buffs, or current Nets buffs. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think that we're historians of the Nets. No, certainly <laughs> not. Let's just talk about our limitations for a while yeah. and various things. Um <laughs> All right, so anyway, we're going to watch this movie, we're going to come back, we're going to tell you what we think about this movie, and talk about other potential documentaries that could be made about Nets players. Yeah. So, we will be back with you briefly to discuss the path to the cap. It doesn't go through so much to get to where you are today, and once you walk across that stage and realize, I made it. Okay, and that's a wrap on The Path to the Cap. Yeah. Simon, your first reaction. Um, I thought it was pretty much what I had expected. Um, As I think I I told you when this initially came out, I'm not super enthralled or interested in D'Angelo Russell's pre-NBA, or really even uh, pre-Nets life. Sure. Um, so or him as a human being, you just want to see him out there putting up numbers every night. You know, do your job. Is sir. a means to an end. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I think that that was, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't have much of a much of a reaction. I <laughs> Thad, Thad Mata was the most positive coach he's ever had, according to him. Maybe Thad Mata should jump to the uh, to the NBA. Oh, right, maybe be a, de- he, a development coach on the Nets or he something. Can, he can be a, a a players coach, Bill. That's that's what the players demand these days. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know much about D'Angelo Russell before the Nets either. Uh-huh. Uh, as we both discovered, he's from Louisville. Yeah. Kind of interesting that he didn't go to Louisville or to Kentucky. Right. Instead, chose a midwestern rival. Right. Well, once he was shipped out into uh, into Florida, it seems like his his Kentucky uh, roots were severed. (laughs) Sure. Um, Other things about the movie Monteverde, as we discussed, I noticed that while we were watching it, the first I'd say five minutes we watched in sort of a reverent silence Mm -hmm. for the movie, and as it went on, I would say increasingly conversation picked up. Um, it's it's a bizarre piece of of essentially corporate propaganda, I guess, for like New Era and the Caps. Right. I right. mean, they were, they were like no one, <laughs> no one in an interview naturally like about the draft would discuss the hat. I don't think like at the in that much depth. Sure. Whereas like mothers, sisters, siblings, everyone felt compelled to discuss a hat right. in, in various interviews. Right. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, inherently, it's not that, like that fascinating. It's not going to be a very fascinating movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this lived up to lived up to those expectations. Sure. Um, what else about the movie? We don't have to necessarily say more. I mean, I I, th- I think that's I I think that's sufficient. I yeah. I wonder if Monteverde is a... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll discuss this. Uh, someone... Mic. I think Anthony Simons came from Monteverde this mm. year. It is a mill for, for elite basketball players. Um, I wonder if it's also a mill for other athletes, but... Like, like of football? other sports. Um, yeah, and Olympians or potential Olympians. I, I Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um... Okay, so the <laughs> centerpiece of this show, our reaction, has has run its course. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I recommend people go watch A Path to the Cap, but um, for a diehard D'Lo fan, yeah. might as well give it a run. I, you know? I, th- I think we watched it so you don't have to. Sure, sure. Uh, he was very competitive with his brother. Yeah. His dad sacrificed a lot for him. Yeah, unclear exactly unclear what, what that what that means. Maybe the tuition to Monteverde. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, entirely. I I would imagine they have scholarships for people that they yeah desperately That's need to come sure. so they win national sure. championships. We'll, we'll never know because that movie was that movie is not, not so much about right and not a not like a, a hard journalistic documentary yeah as i mentioned it is a piece of new era propaganda <laughs> but what it has done simon is provided the ideal segue to discuss other net players and how they might have documentaries made about themselves right um, so loco is that so starting yeah, to surge it, it, into our veins here, folks. It should be mentioned, Simon, in another sadistic act, <laughs> has reintroduced Four Loco into my home. He is currently repping a watermelon Four Loco while I am enjoying a fruit punch. Yes, I'm trying to look. So do take whatever we say here. Uh, with a grain of salt, we we are we are speaking through four loco lenses, right? Yes, that is completely right. So you have five players, I have five players. Your five players, Simon, are Jared Allen, Damari Carroll, Alan Crabb, Trevion Graham, and Spencer Dinwiddie, while I have Dudley, Manimal, Joe Harris, RHJ, and Jajan Musa. Yeah. Uh, you want to go first, or shall I? I? We'll do one and one and one you and one. You should go first. All right. So I'm going to start off. I would say uh, with my... So what we're going to do is we're going to say a path to blank. And and it will be the documentary made about each of these ten Nets players. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can give as much or as little explanation for the, why you think this would be an interesting or whatever documentary, interesting or otherwise, um, after, after you said it. Okay. Uh, for me, I would say two of them, I came up with things that I would be genuinely curious to see, like, to, like actually sin- semi-sincere ideas for documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, two, not at all, and, well, the other, we'll, you'll see. So we'll start with Jared Dudley. Um, and I would say his documentary would be called Path to Retirement. <laughs> or path to the broadcasting booth, right? And sure. that is and that is sort of this is one of the two that I think would be genuinely be a somewhat interesting documentary to make. <laughs> like, there's a guy at the end of his NBA career. Yeah. He, in interviews, has very much suggested he would like it not to be the end of his NBA career. Right. Sure. But it all. very clearly is going to be the end of his NBA career. Like. Uh, he, I mean, he could have a massive turnaround this year, but it's very, very likely that this is the last year of Jared Dudley's career. That said, he has positioned himself extremely well through Twitter, primarily, mm-hmm. um, but also doing lots of interviews with Woj and surely other less well-known podcasts mm-hmm. um, to set himself self up for a future in media. Yeah. 
And I think it would be a, a fairly interesting documentary. It wouldn't be called Path to Retirement and or Path, Path to the Broadcasting Booth. But um, it like a documentary that follows an NBA player at the, at the tail end of his career struggling with the idea that maybe like physically they're not going to be able to be in the game anymore. They're just not good enough to continue to play in the NBA and trying to figure out what that, what that future looks like. Mm-hmm. And it would be particularly interesting with a guy like Jared Dudley who's as articulate as him mm-hmm. and, and sort of like consciously positioning himself for a future, whereas I think a lot of people are sort of caught off guard maybe want to stay you know like keep right. the dream alive forever whereas right. i think he as as much as he says he wants to um continue to play like clearly recognizes that there's a future after it and he is he is self-consciously angling to get into this particular thing. yes he so i think that i think that would make a fairly compelling more than 16 minute long documentary about how an nba player as you know as perhaps you know doesn't have as big of a name or cachet as um d'angelo russell mm-hmm. but uh you know a guy that is known in the league and is like and and probably will have a a legitimate and and uh and promising career in media um, if things go on this trajectory. Yeah, to me, I see him as kind of a, uh, like, a young and and less sort of, like, nebbish uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Like, I thought his comments to, to <laughs> Woj were, like, pretty pretty to the point and, like, and, and, and not, um, like, a, a whitewash of, like, NBA problems. Like, Woj right. just, like, went out and talked to him about some pretty pretty big issues within the league and he gave pretty frank answers right. particularly for someone who is in the league like yeah. i imagine if you're outside of the league you can be even more um you know uh honest in your critique and i think that's basically the only thing i like about jeff van gundy is that he will occasionally be like that's a terrible call these refs have no idea what they're doing <laughs> they have no idea how to officiate this guy the way he plays <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think he was, he was quite frank about definitely refereeing, about player movement, which is probably something that is a little, uh, thornier for him as a current player. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know how honest they want to be about mm-hmm. their, uh, desires to play in markets because so much of the rhetoric, you know, you see a guy like Giannis in Milwaukee and he's still more or less like, like. Um, walking the company line and saying like, "Oh yeah, Milwaukee's kind of my home forever." And mm-hmm. Anthony Davis, who is more, you know, has been a little cast some doubt about his future in New Orleans, but is is tries to to play it up, you know, like you 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 do need to do that um, to an extent, so that his frankness about that and and his his honesty is is somewhat refreshing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and. And uh, anyway, I think would be an interesting subject for for a movie. Sure, why not? Sure, let's. let's you, you, you far wanna, more you interesting than that? anything I've got. I mean, far more interesting than what we just watched. Frankly, I mean, some like, he put on a cap and it meant a lot <laughs> to him. Okay, like I would, I would be much more interested in 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 a in a Dudley. Uh, yeah. Doc. Yeah. Uh, who's my first one? Let's start you with Jared Allen. Okay. Who I'm getting higher and higher on by the minute. Oh boy, Bill, you are a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all over the goddamn. You are a place. roller coaster. I, I think it's this loco talking, frankly. Yeah, I know. It gives you a real, real am, positive outlook I feel on everything. Really for like good, right? Now. Thirty to fifty minutes. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the crash. You need to have something for the crash. But oh boy. But um, anyway, so. I, I think my my uh, my documentary on Jared Allen would be Path Out of His Mom's House. Um, I think that <laughs> how one NBA millionaire <laughs> managed to move out of his mother's house. You don't have to sever ties, Jared, but this would be a battle to sort of become a full-fledged adult right. who views their parents with, you know, respect reverence, uh, you know, uh, a gratitude, but also doesn't purchase a home explicitly so that their parents can stay with them. Right. Um, 
you know, fine if they end up staying with you, I guess. Although, again, a two-bedroom... The other thing is, like, it's weird that he got a two-bedroom... I mean, I know he's not making huge amounts of money, but whatever. Anyway. I mean... It's weird that it's just (laughs) a two-bedroom, right? Several million dollars (laughs) a year? Right. Right. I, I, I feel like... Yeah, anyway. So... So this would just be this would be his his path to maturity, his path to independence, and okay. and perhaps there would be some interludes of like you know maybe a little less video game playing, a little more human interaction, one on one in person interactions, uh-huh. um, you know, which I think he probably gets some of. And and look, he's not the only NBA player. One thing that this off season has really taught, I think, both of us is that okay. NBA players. Really play video games a lot. Oh my god! Like D'Angelo, they're, uh, they're all like Frankie Nicotine pretty... won the two K two K competition at Madison Square Garden. Okay. Beat D'Angelo in in route to his oh, champion, okay. his eventual championship. Frankie smokes. Got it right. So um, anyway, so yes, that that would be my documentary. Okay. Um, my next one is Kenneth Fareed, the Manimal, and it would be Path. Through the American legal system. Uh, this is not one that I actually want made, right. um, though I do think uh, w- what he is going through warrants, uh, you know, uh, the more sunshine, the better. It's, yeah, it's exactly. An yeah. obvious, obvious, yeah. um, you know, like something, many documentaries already exist mm-hmm. that document this very yes. problem of yes. someone who is. Busted for a low-level drug offense, and uh, the punitive system kicks mm-hmm. in, and there are absurd consequences for it. Yep. Um, I don't think highlighting a many times over millionaire and their process through it would be a justice to what many uh, other people go through. Right. Which is why I don't think it should be, you know, an actual documentary. Right. But sure, um, I understand. I think the most interesting thing happening with Kenneth Fareed at the moment is that he faces up to two years in prison. He almost certainly will not spend a day in prison. Yeah. Um, But just that that is a possibility, uh, you know, as a guy who's moving from a state where he could have done the exact same thing and and not had any worry of having any, you know, punitive action taken towards him. Right. Interesting. Anyway, right. Next up is Damare Carroll. Damare Carroll. Um, my my uh, story for him is path path to total rebranding. Uh, <laughs> a path to taking, you know, a player who was a salary dump who. As he as soon as he left, engendered um, quite a lot of criticism for his for his uh, you know words out the door of at Toronto that they were too isolation focused um, and 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 uh, and you know as as somebody who was like past his prime who was taken just for the 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 things that were traded uh, to the Nets. Um, as an incentive to take him on to someone who is beloved by the Nets organization, or at least I wouldn't say beloved to somebody who's probably going to be traded at the trade deadline if they can, but but somebody who is like, you know, uh, liked throughout the organization uh-huh. and uh, was, as you said many times, arguably the Nets' best player at many, many games, mm-hmm. certainly, if not in total. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, it's just like a, a there's universal good vibes about that guy, which was not the case a year ago. Right. So he comes here. He's essentially cast as a reject who can't fit with one of the best teams in the East. Comes here, is arguably our best player last year mm-hmm. overall in all 82 games. Uh, is a fashionista. <laughs> yeah, as we've discussed at length yeah. in other episodes, and um, is sort of the heart and soul of of the team in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. He is a mentor to the young. He is yeah. a 
a comfort to the old. <laughs> no, anyway, Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway. I mean, if the old is Kenny Atkinson, yes. Right. I mean, Kenny Atkinson adores him. He had the highest, he played the most minutes of any Nets. Yes, he averaged the most minutes. He had the best season of his career with the Nets. So, yeah, I think, I think a rebranding of the guy is in order. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, you know, he, he does continue to age and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that'll be accomplished, but you know what? I can't wait to watch the path to that rebranding. Right. Thank you. Uh, my next guy is Joe Harris. Mm. Path I've... to the fuck you, Joe Harris. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> my my Joe Harris is path to taking Alan Crabb's starting spot. Whoa. Ooh. Bill. A hot take. Shots. Fire. <laughs> um, so... This doesn't need a lot of explanation. Joe Harris is currently slated to be the backup to Alan Crabb, the massively overpaid Alan Crabb. Joe Harris had some great numbers last year in terms of three-point percentage and his ability to finish at the rim. Alan Crabb had some uh, wildly inconsistent Numbers, yes. Some extremely promising, some extremely harrowing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. If Joe Harris actually takes his place, I would kind of doubt it. But uh, I'd love to watch a movie about it. Yeah, it's. It, I, I I agree. It, it especially on paper, it seems like that would make be perfectly possible. Yeah. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but weirdly, like his. His when he would start, it was like terrible. Like he would like freak out, or yeah. so, something would happen where like he was not good. But you know that could, that could change with with you know his new payday, his new comfort that he's gonna right, like, or least... just the exact opposite. Mm. I mean, you don't you know it could be a, a it could be a failed path to Alan Crabb's right. starting spot. Sure. Like he just got paid, maybe mm. his incentives. Are down, right? You know, Simon, you got to think behavioral economics here. That's true. You and I both subscribe heavily <laughs> to behavioral economics. I, I probably do more than you, honestly. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, we can move on to the next one, sure. which is Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb. Um, I would call mine Path to Enemy Number One. <laughs> I think that Alan Crabb has managed, and, and it's he has managed to do this without doing anything malicious um, or evil, um, to pretty much be the ire of of like almost every Nets fan. I would say net income holds out as like a bastion of like. You know, he had a great, you know, he's got, you know that he's, he's pitching the idea that he, he could opt out next year. Yes. Such a good, that he's like, yes. look, that is one like, of the, that is one of the most fun net nation fantasies of all. Yeah. That he's so good that he's like, what, 18 million? Are you kidding me? Right. I could get way more than this on the market. Right. It's going to be a hungry market next year. Right. And Alan Krebs going to take advantage. Um, it's truly bananas. Uh, so he, he is, um, I think going to quickly, I mean, he already is pretty, pretty vilified. And I feel like next year he, he will just like be even more in his head. And I mean, I hope this is not true. I I hope that he's got a fresh start. He totally understands what it means to be a starter and how much the Nets are fine with him shooting and develops that sort of consciousless play that that he's talked about creating. He, but but I think far more likely, um, and I know I'm pre- preaching to the choir with you, I think far more likely he continues to be a dud that we have for two more years and is untradeable. Right. So I think that, um, and, and apologies, listeners, we, uh, we are playing to the soundtrack of my dog currently trying to ingest a basketball <laughs> and... It's just resulting on him flying across the hardwood floor of the apartment. He has no regard for his own body. Uh, no, he certainly doesn't. Or that basketball. Which, right. by well, the I... way, I've had to get another basketball. Um, so that's now his. That's his. Ba- that's Coach's basketball. Uh, I would say the... 
Did I not close the door? I hope you did. Hang on. All right, go check that out. Simon, I'm going to... It's closed. Okay, very good news. Um, so I think the, the if, you're, if you want to go down the delusional nets, net income uh, route, mm-hmm. you would say last year he missed, remember he got that injury during training camp? Yes. Came into the season rough, started out, and, 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 and just sort of got way into his head. And then what, yep. what net income keeps talking about is the end of the season when he had, you know, he blew up for like 40 points in a game or something like that. Right. From, from, from At the end of the All-Star break, his numbers are like what the Nets would have hoped for. Sure. 16 points uh, a game, 41% from three, four rebounds. Right. Like, that's fine. Yeah, no, that's that's perfectly that's, fine. And that, that's peak crap. Right. Like, crab, that's crap, that's crab ceiling. Yeah. Um... For sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you know, a summer with Nets development, blah, blah, blah. One thing I would say, we're getting intel, you know, through Nets Daily about um, Karis LeVert and uh, D'Angelo Russell and those guys being in the gym mm-hmm. and developing, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And there's usually, like, now is the time when you have nothing else to talk about. You just put out, like, yeah, weird propaganda videos, yeah. about guys doing a lot of stuff. Two guys I've heard basically nothing about in this offseason, Alan Crabb and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I, I agree with you on Rondé. Rondé is, the, like, is, is, like, wildly absent. quiet. Yeah. Uh, and... Because uh, last year the whole thing was like, well, he's going to become he's going to become a better shooter, and he's and here here here's a new take. He's going to become a wildly better shooter, and that the whole thing was just Rondé is going to develop in, in this way, and and it's been so quiet on that front. It's like the Nets have accepted that he's more or less at his ceiling, hmm. and that I mean. Yeah, Maybe I not, don't know. But, uh, I, I know you've been predicting doom for Rondé for no, I, but I, I mean he's just such, he's, he's a figure that has has is so significant in a pretty bereft Nets team. You know, like he was arguably you know with Carroll our best player. You know, him or Carroll were probably our best player last year, mm-hmm. um, and and that there's no conversation about what he's doing this summer, what might what he might become this next season is odd. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. I, I I will just say that in net incomes little thing about um, Alan Crabb that he wrote that basically said what we've already regurgitated. Um, he did mention that he's been meticulous with his workouts, but well, that's, I don't I know mean, what no that's one, based on. Right? Nobody, nobody in the off season is like that. I mean, no one says that guy's not doing anything. Well, but he didn't have to say. I mean, I, I will say that 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 is in line with like the thing. But but yes, when 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 we've heard Kenny Atkinson, Sean Marks, Damari Carroll talk about who's in the gym, they have not mentioned Alan Crabb. Yeah. Uh, it might be that he goes back to L.A. and doesn't stay around here for the summer. Yeah, maybe. Uh, which is also sort of... I mean, it's fine, you know? You do you you got time off from work. Do what you want to do, but... That's um, right. Workers' rights. Uh, hey, it's Labor fanatics. Day weekend. That's right, right? yeah. Uh, all right. My next guy, oddly enough, is Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. All right. So... This is the other one that I would be somewhat sincerely interested in. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it would be called Path to Becoming a Restaurateur. So, <laughs> now that in, in itself sounds somewhat mocking because he does have a restaurant in Long Island. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, and this could just be a, a snobby prejudice. Um, that it's not a very good restaurant. Whoa, Bill, come on. I would, uh, that, that said, I would, I would say that's snobby. This, this fits in with your, you have a very, this is like the, the, uh, the the profile of Glenn Greenwald. You've always had like a sort of seemingly objective, seemingly open to Rondé uh, attitude, but this is just more evidence of that <laughs> darkly negative view of Rondé. No, 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 no. I, you know, his call on Instagram to like for chefs to come. Mm. Like, if you're starting a restaurant and you don't have a chef. That is pro. You're just like an NBA player mm-hmm. who likes food, mm-hmm. like most humans do. We yeah. like food. Yeah. Um, that's probably a, a problem. And so, the thing I think would make an interesting documentary is not 
particularly Rondo's restaurant, right? Like that would make a cheap and easy, um, uh, like MTV uh, reality show, an episode of it, mm-hmm. or a Food Network ep- sure, reality sure, episode. Sure. What I think is interesting is that. It seems like a lot of NBA players uh, start or open restaurants. So Rondé is opening this restaurant. Sean Kilpatrick opened the Juice. Amari Stoudemire opened. Amari Stoudemire. I was listening to an interview on Forty Eight, this this other um, NBA podcast with Malik Rose, former NBA player for the Spurs, who's now an assistant GM in. Detroit, okay. I think, somewhere, uh, and he opened several places in San Antonio, uh, all of which closed down, and now he's doing food, like food trucks or something like that. Anyway, I think it would be a really interesting documentary to try to uh, get at the. Uh, get at the financial advisors that NBA players get connected with mm-hmm. who cuz like obviously like the restaurant you mean their cousin yeah, exactly okay. no 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 <laughs> like like who's informing this decision yeah. to like open a restaurant right. or do, like these guys have a lot of money yeah. and everyone is coming at them yeah. with ideas for like hey yeah. this thing is 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 going to is going to make a bunch of money yes. and basically restaurants are one of the most like right. difficult businesses yes. to make a profit in yes. you could possibly put your money into. Absolutely. If you're going into it and you're like, yeah, I've got this vision, I need a restaurant. I also need a chef, uh, by the way, to, to run the restaurant. Uh, you know, like it's probably not going to end up being a very profitable business. Sure. So like these guys have a ton of money. Everyone's coming at them. I think a documentary about the various pitches that, like, even a guy like Rondé, who's one of the lowest-earning guys on the team because he was a late first-round pick. Yeah. yeah, because he was a late first-round pick. He makes more than Spencer Dinwiddie, but mm. uh, he was That's a late first-round pick, so he has, like, under $2 million contract. And, and pre-money cap, like, Right, and there know. are caps, yeah, and then we, we extended it and blah, blah, right. blah. So... You know, like, this is, like, an appealing venture. Because something like a restaurant is so easy to sell on, like, an emotional and intuitive level. You're like, of course you got to open a restaurant. Yeah. But to, like, actually make a profitable restaurant is massively difficult. Yeah. And you, I mean, like, just put it into some miserable mutual fund sure, or right, whatever. Right. And uh steady gains. Right, right. But but like but like it would it would be it'd be fascinating to know just a a, a glimmer, uh, a a glimpse into what the number of pitches these guys get. Mm-hmm. And like what it, like I would I would imagine most of them are like in entertainment and and food uh in those industries. And probably not like, hey, do you want to be like a sleazy landlord because you can make an insane amount of money if you just buy a bunch of property or something? Right. Yeah. Um, I all of that makes me really want to go to Rondé's restaurant. No. Oh, yeah. I, that said, I would. I, I did. I did hope this would come up. I would love to go to Rondé's restaurant. I said that when we were talking about. Yeah, let's um, do it asap, man. The chefs. Uh, it's in Long Island somewhere. Uh, I'm sure we can find a train there. I hope it's still open. Yeah, uh, I've not heard. Much I buzz will no. About I've it. not heard a lot of buzz about you know, it. Sean and Kilpatrick's Juice Bar. He had. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go there. No, I don't want to go yeah. there. Um, but I would definitely go to Rondé's restaurant and let's try to make that happen. Okay. Um, okay. So your next guy is Trevion Graham. Mm. Uh. So, Trevion Graham's movie is called, or documentary, is called um, The Path to My Heart. Uh, (laughs) I think Trevion Graham will basically, this is my hope, this is my fringe, uh, you know, for loco hope, um, that he will become what I hoped Alan Crabb was last year. Like, I just imagine him... This is my dream fantasy again. As we've talked about, these these paths are not what we expect necessarily. Necessarily. And that's what makes the film so compelling. Right, exactly. They are sort of, to me, they are hopes and dreams in in some ways. 
Um, at, at least this is. Um, so so uh, I, I just hope that he, you know, if he is just banging out threes, uh, he gets in, he, 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 he does what the Alan, Alan Crabb does, which is they run a play for him, and, and then, you know, he gets a fairly open look at the, at the three at the top of the key, and he makes it. And then he goes back on the other end and actually defends his uh, his man. Like, that is catnip to me. For some reason, that is such an enticing aspect of... A 3 and a classic 3 and D play. Yeah. And if you're paying that guy no money, um, which we aren't, I mean, which we are... Uh, it, it's it's much less stressful than watching those games with Alan Crabb, where you're seeing all of the opportunity costs. Right. The, just the flow expect- out. Uh, yeah, and it, it is it is uh, it, it's about expectations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and <laughs> Trevion Graham has extremely low expectations and yeah. could very very conceivably exceed those. Whereas it would be extraordinarily difficult for yes. Alan Crabb to meet his expectations. Unless you're net income who lives in a totally bizarre world, but. I, so I would say to me, Bill, that um, the three people that I'm looking forward to most seeing in the in the the preseason in, are the two the two draft picks yeah. we've seen nothing of, and Trevion Graham, because I just have no idea. Like he could just be a lump, like <laughs> very possible, and may never crack the rotation. Like there are lots of people who do what he does on our team. Right. Uh, I think I think I I think. I think he will crack the rotation. Mm-hmm. I think he is a very Kenny Atkinson type player. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think Sean Marks player as well. Yeah, and I think that he has a real chance to um, to do something in a team that has so little talent <laughs> yeah. that uh, a guy who maybe has been overlooked and passed over and other teams, especially a team like Charlotte where he's coming from, that have a lot of players in that position that they're paying like Alan Crabb. Level salaries yeah. that they have to play. Right. We we have one Allen Crab. We don't yeah. have several Allen exactly. Crabs. So we can we can give him more run, and and if there is a meritocracy, uh, then then he could could rise. I hope he does. Yeah, and I hope he so wins too. your heart. <laughs> and I can't wait to be in the front row for the screening <laughs> of Path to Simon's Heart. Yeah. Uh, my final one is Janin Musa. And it is called The Path to 200 Pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so currently, Jeanin Musa is 190 pounds and 6 foot 8, which translates roughly to uh, borderline anorexic. <laughs> uh, an extremely yes. thin, thin man. Yes. So Simon, I had a question for you for this because okay. I don't I don't I don't want to plot out every point that's going to be in plot to plot to 200 uh pounds by myself. I wanted to ask you um what weight gaining tips do you have for him? What should he eat? Where should he eat? How should he eat? Okay, one very sugary alcoholic beverages. Uh, that should be the, with every meal. <laughs> of the Four Loco variety. Or the Four Lake, Loco or um, uh, Limerita um, genre. Um, that, but that, that's, that's your beverage. And then I would say... <laughs> so a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very high calorie. Yeah. Uh, and I would also say... You know, I, th- I think there's no better path to weight gain, for me anyway, I can speak from from personal experience, than dairy. Like, uh, yeah. cheese is, in, like, you just cannot pound for pound get more fat per, you know, ounce or whatever than, than cheese, um, full fat milk if you're into it, um... Uh, heavy desserts, sure. Um, and uh, you know, then then I guess you know, as uh, uh, you know, if you get sick of that sort of thing, um, so right your now red now now he's subsisting on <laughs> four locos and cheese, four locos and cheese, and then for dessert, uh, some meats, meats like uh, yeah, red, red meat, um, particularly like hamburger meat. Not sure. lean meat. Right, right, right. Like a like a like a sixty forty proportion. Yes. 
Exactly. The, the kind of burger that you eat and you're, like, sick from. Pretty <laughs> much immediately. We've all had those kind of burgers. Yeah. I almost went to Shake Shack today. Mm. Uh, when I went to Modell's, by the way. Yeah. Uh, didn't. Alas. What was your... Alas. What was your thinking on that? Um, well, I was just like, I'm going to... I don't know. I spent $90 on two pairs of shoes. I should just go home and not buy something. And then I was, like, waiting for the bus, and I was going to go to this falafel place. And um, this group of, like, seven guys coming from Prospect Park who had just played softball or something went in, and I turned away and went, went, right. went home. Is it called Chickpea? No. Well, that's on the east side of Flatbush. This was on the west side. It's Got right it. next to Patsy's. Okay. All right. Your final guy, Simon. Mm-hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie. Mm-hmm. Dinwiddie. Here we go. And I know we're going to talk about him later, right, in the podcast? Yeah. Uh, so... It's leading into it. Right. So I would say Spencer Dinwiddie's... Pod or uh, path to the cast, path to the cap, is um, <laughs> path, path to to something or other. <laughs> path to the loco. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really stupid thing <laughs> to drink when you're watching. Documentaries about D'Angelo Russell and trying to record a podcast. All right. <laughs> Your path to Dinwiddie. Path to the trade deadline. Because I'll oh. tell you, this is where I think things get very, very interesting. And I hope, as I know you do, I hope that D'Angelo is just spectacular um, prior to the trade deadline. The Nets are able to make the easy call of being like, okay, this is this is who we invest in, right? Yeah. We get him and maybe one other, you know, we get a we get a Tobias Harris or something, and you know, call it an off season. And we don't need Spencer Dinwiddie. We're not going to be able to afford him. We're going to ship him off to a team, a contender team that needs a backup point guard. That's the dream. So that that's what I would. Describe it as, but we'll we'll get into details about how I think that the exact opposite may happen. But okay. But anyway, yes. What was the name? What was the title? Path, Path to the Trade Deadline. To pretend for a moment I wasn't listening to what you just said. What was it called? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got like I, I literally picked up my phone, which has been charging, and I had seventeen text messages. So. About, I don't understand why that would be. Yeah, uh, it was a bit distracting. Distracting. It was sure. for tonight's fantasy football right. draft, which Simon and I are participating People in, are only as a stopgap to get us to the NBA fantasy, which I cannot wait for our NBA fantasy um, draft breakdown of Nets players, which is coming up soon. Yeah. Um, that is going to be a fun and hopefully contentious cast. Yeah. Uh, so Spencer Dinwiddie, let's get let's move let's move straight to him. Are you done with paths? Yeah. Do you have any more paths We're you'd not, like I, to talk about? No more paths. Um, who do we leave out? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. It's time to move on. Things begin to move slowly after a four loco <laughs> in my head. There's like a thick sweet ooze coming out of my forehead right now. <laughs> kind of smells like fruit punch, weirdly <laughs> enough. All right. Uh, the Spencer Denny cap hold extension <laughs> situation. All right. So some things came out in the last week about Spencer Dinwiddie. Yes. Not, I mean, they, they didn't come out. They've been extant, but people have been talking about them. Right. So... Basically, what's happening is this. We are going to have to make a decision on Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, The period in which we have, because we guaranteed this year preemptively, is that between December 8th and June 30th, a decision has to be made on whether we are going to offer an extension to him. After June 30th, he becomes an RFA. Right. Uh, A UFA. Totally, yeah. Unrestricted free agent. Mm -hmm. Right. So, the maximum that we could offer him 
is $47.5 million over four years. Mm-hmm. So that's like $12, 12 million, million a, year. a year. Yeah. Um, starting at 10 though, and then increasing gradually over time for cap purposes. Uh, Simon, what do you think the implications are? So, okay, I will say right now I would be shocked if the Nets give him an extension uh, before the season ends. Um, I don't think that there's any reason, which the Forbes article uh, brings up, why they would give up the ludicrously low cap hold that he has that allows them to make moves Uh just to, I don't know, get garner goodwill with Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, I... I don't think that they see him as a guaranteed, like, piece. I don't think anyone on their team, frankly, they see as, like, a guaranteed piece of their future. And to me, that's what giving him an extension would mean. Like, yes. giving him $12 million just right out of the gate is seems ab- absurd to me. Okay, I agree 100%. There's a 0% chance that we're going to give him an extension in during the season. Yeah. We're not going to offer an extension during the season. Yeah. I think that the thing that the article gets at and that is is more interesting is I keep saying is. Um <laughs> the more interesting part <laughs> is that he that we what, are we going to trade him at the trade deadline, right. which is in February. So Basically, the point of the article is you've got to make a decision on him within the first couple months of the season, not because you're going to offer him an extension then, but because you have to figure out whether you're going to get off of him and try to get some value out of him in terms of trading him for an asset, or are you going to hold on to him? And if you do hold on to him, the likelihood that you're going to try to sign him seems somewhat high. So they set it at two months, which is December, to make the decision, which is not right. I think that they have until February to yeah, do it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so in that sense, when you stretch it to that length of – like if it were – like we had to make a decision by December 8th, mm-hmm. then I think that the pressure to – play Spencer as much as you could and determine what sort of asset he really is um, is really high but it's not that we have ultimately the entire season but in a more realistic sense until the trade deadline in early February I don't know why I'm saying February like this I've never said said it like this in my life I think it's the fruit punch um, so anyway, I, I think that we have enough, like, even, so if the, if the deadline's extended to February, you have four months to look at him, think about him, reflect on his relevance, and probably more importantly, reflect on how good D'Angelo Russell's doing, uh, to make a decision on whether or not He's a guy that we want to extend. Yeah. Not that we we have to extend him by February either. We have till June, whatever, thirtieth. Uh, but um, but I don't think the way the article framed it made it seem like it was a real high pressure situation to get all the information we could about him as an NBA player by December, which is inaccurate. I think. Yeah. We have more time. We have more flexibility. We have enough time. He will get enough minutes by February to have a sense of whether or not he's a guy we really believe in and whether that thing that happened last season where he got, you know, most improved player, third in the NBA, uh, and he he did really well for that whatever it was, 30-game period, whether that's real or whether we could maybe trade him to a team that needs a good backup point guard who's going to be in the playoffs who, who might give us something Tasty in return. I mean, they won't. I, I, I would. I would say that they probably will just be like a second round pick. For, yeah, but that's for fine. Half a season, right? right? Like if you're if yeah, you're getting yeah, yeah. if you're getting rid of a guy that you don't want right. to pay a bunch of money to anyway. Right. No, totally. So so I I would say let me let me lay out what I am sure is your nightmare scenario, which is the Nets take 
you know, they, they take in all of D'Angelo Russell. They they experience his his season and they're not they're not so committed to him that they think that a more attra- I, I think that they that it, it could it's possible that they could say, okay, if Spencer Dinwiddie is our point guard, we're certainly not going to have an amazing point guard, but he's a serviceable point guard. And this means that we can go after two mid-level um, free agents, right? A, a, a Chris Middleton and a, and a Otto Porter in a trade or, or, or Tobias Harris or something. And that, to us, is more interesting than staking our, you know, than spending a lot of money and, and, and having to spend um, big bucks on D'Angelo Russell. Sure. Like I do. I do think that that's a conceivable scenario. I yeah, and I would go one further and say they could begin to think about it in terms of Levert as point guard and Levert as a guy you could extend for much less than D'Angelo. Yeah, and and use him in the point guard position huh. as well, or those two coupled together could we get. Could we get Spencer and Karras, uh extend both of them for approximately what we would for D'Angelo? And is that more value hmm. than just keeping D'Angelo? Yeah. And saying, like like you're saying, we're gonna we're gonna get better players around them through the the cap space that we're saving by not re-signing this one guy. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's I think that's uh, an entirely possible uh, you know calculation for someone to make. Again, like I I really hope that D'Angelo does well this year. I think that he he certainly is one of the few parts of the team that has a real upside, other than Jared Allen. And I am in moments i can be a believer in Karis Levert having a high upside but mostly i'm i'm not that uh and don't actually see it but um whatever whatever let's yeah. say yeah so let's say you go with Karis who's much cheaper is going to be much cheaper than D'Angelo and Jared Allen you could build you could get other players around that Right. Um, be it, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie at, at half the rate that you're paying D'Angelo. Right. So. But I think the path to, the, the most secure path to me, because free agency is such a crapshoot and because it's so fraught with dangers of overpaying, if you do get somebody and likely, especially in the net scenario, you just won't get anybody. Like there's, yeah. you know, no guarantee we'll get no, I somebody don't, no, who's no, that's, remotely good. I mean... And this is a thing that is, that just is this nagging question for Nets fans. Like, they're so all in on free agency. Like, we have money. That does not guarantee mm-hmm. a goddamn thing. Okay. Like, every fucking team in the NBA is going to have more money next year. And many more teams are more attractive to go to than the Nets. To think that we are going to be the destination of anyone good is absurd. We're going to have to overpay right. so much right. for someone of not overpay, you know, talent. We're going to get, like, um, who's the guy on the Hornets? Uh... Wesley Matthews? <laughs> well, sure. A West, yeah, equivalent of, yeah, a Wesley Matthews, a guy who, who maybe put up a good season, right. has a little bit of potential, but it's not, not anything real. Um, yeah, like a non-transformational player, a guy who could get you into the in the East, maybe help you get into the playoffs, but never be an actual contender. Like, isn't it more interesting for the Nets to try to get Zion Williamson, who can score 40 points a game through dunking alone and, you know, offers all of the potential of a guy who could transform a, a franchise? Like, it's nice. that I, I think it's amazing that Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson have been going after... Um, recreating the team in all the ways that they have. Like I think I think the D'Angelo, like losing Brook Lopez for D'Angelo, fine, take that risk. See if this guy actually pans out. Maybe he doesn't. But 
his contract is up in the right time when we start getting our picks back. You know, and and we we were basically totally out of control of everything. Do like throw everything at the wall in those times, which they did, and they they made some really interesting moves. But we have essentially, other than Jared Allen, I would say no one who's guaranteed to be good and on this team in five years. Definitely. Uh, and, and, and I guess, you know, technically, Jared Allen's not guaranteed to be on the team, but, like, they will do everything to lock him up because he actually shows this much potential. Yeah. But, like, like you know, and that's fine. They were fucked. And, they and, were, they, they had no choice. Right. They did creative, interesting things. Sure. It's no, it's no, you know, mark against them that they didn't come up with some way to fix a fucked situation. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I just think the easiest path, the most secure path, is if D'Angelo has a good year and you just say, okay, here you go. We've built up all this goodwill. We're very likely – I mean, we, we can sign you. You're a restricted free agent. So we would just guarantee sign him to whatever it is that he gets. And then, you know, assuming that D'Angelo is, like, pro- proven to, to you know, um, get that value, like, great. Like, anything off of that is is gravy in free agency, and maybe we get, like, a good pick. Yeah. Which yeah. is tough. I will say one one problem with that scenario I just laid out is that if D'Angelo is really good, it's possible we have won some games. Yeah. Right? Or at least you would hope. And then Zion Williamson becomes tougher. But, again, you know, the way they've restructured these things, it's, like, 12% for the first th- three worst teams. It's, like... Uh, 11% or something before, below that, like fourth, five. Yeah, you know. it is, it is restructured. A, there, yeah, there's, there's less of an incentive chance. to take, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it's a really, really, really difficult situation to like long-term build for anything other than mediocrity. Right. Uh, and you know, the teams that are great are, yeah, like Golden State drafted yes. three of those guys. Yes. Um, LeBron James was drafted By to Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there are reasons why the uh, the Celtics got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with our right. with our picks. Uh, you know, these teams are Sixers. Uh, these teams are great because they draft great players. It's really hard to develop and build a team by getting free agents. Yes. And the arrogance and the fucking just inanity of the idea that somehow Brooklyn is an appealing destination. Like, it is a big market, but it doesn't have a history of winning. It doesn't have a current history of being anything but a no. laughing stock. It doesn't have a star, a legitimate right. star no. currently. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's in a complete rebuild mode. Like why does a free agent of any value want to come here? And we do and I understand that I've read Nets Daily, we have good facilities, we we um send guys like Jeremy Lin to the best rehab imaginable, even though we know that we're not going to keep him on the team. Mm-hmm. We do good things, and it's a fine it's a fine place. But ultimately, it's going to come down to, like, we either draft... Well, basically, we draft someone that's going to change the franchise, I think, is, is going to be what happens. And if you want to put it off a year by chasing eighth place in the playoffs, which we're not going to get... Uh, in order to try to attract people that aren't going to come, that's fine. But it's it seems, I don't know, fruitless to me. Yeah. I, I do think that there's a decent chance if we play well, like, well by net standards. Like, if we, if we are, like, ninth, eighth, yeah. we, we, can, we can get, I, th- I think there's a decent chance we could overpay for for our Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton. Sure. Yeah, I but think I, there's middle-of-the-road guys. Right, exactly. I'm not middle, like second-tier guys. Right, exactly, exactly. Second-tier guys that we could go for and overpay for. And so what does that end up doing? I, so then we end up being what? Like, hey, cool, we're in playoff contention in the shitty conference yes. every year for, like, four years. So, Bill, 
I will just say that sounds amazing to me. But I, 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 will I don't want to be a fan. Like, really? I don't, no, I don't want to. Like, personally, as a fan, uh-huh. right? I, I, I'm not like, you know, you you have to win a championship or I don't give a shit. Like, I don't mind where the Nets are. Like, I'm fine with the Nets being bad mm. currently. Like, what is exciting to me is not, like, filling the roster full of guys who would be, like, the fourth guy on a really good team. And there being our number one or two guy. Mm. And then we just sort of... You know, we're competitive. We are six to eight in the playoffs mm-hmm. each year. We lose in the first or in a glorious, you know, a run. We get to the second round. Like, whatever. I don't care. I would love to see a Brooklyn Nets team who goes from where we are now, which is about as low as you can be in the NBA, mm-hmm. to a team that gets a guy like. Anthony Davis that gets a guy like Giannis that gets a guy like like one of these guys that you draft and that all of a sudden you realize is a generational player hmm. and that we get to follow well, in the like 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 it's right. it's like what what team puts it together in a championship that is just pieced together oh, by these by these fragments well, of like if, uh, you know Mediocre, like high, 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 but, and I mean, mediocre players. Everyone wants that. I, w- I would love. Yeah, as, sure, as I, as sure, I said sure. last year, I would love to get Zion Williamson more than getting Chris Middleton and 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 Tobias Harris. That's really, really hard to do. Really, really hard to do. Uh, would absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah. so like, yeah, I would. I mean, to me, that's like being like, that's like saying I would like to be the Warriors. Like, no, yeah, no, I, no. I would like we're to be right, the Warriors. right, 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 like, right. No, like, and and the Kings I, and the uh, and the the Kings do this. They get a chance in it every year, right? And they fuck it up, or, and the Suns fuck it up every is a, year. Is an example of 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 a team that has drafted into mediocrity, right? They drafted John Wall. They drafted uh, Otto Porter, and I believe they drafted uh, Beal. I'm almost positive they did. And then now that's their team. Yeah. No, like no, no. And it's team. certainly certainly not um, not a recipe to become a champion of the NBA. But I just feel like we are putting so much stock into what Sean Marks is capable of and what the um, pretty impressive amount of Scouting that we're doing mm-hmm. and development of players that we're doing, mm-hmm. right? We constantly laud those things, and we've gotten guys in the late twenties or early early twenties, Jared Allen and um, Karis Levert, who are pretty damn good. I would love to see what these guys are capable of doing if we had a top ten pick. Mm. Hey, and what if we had two top ten picks mm-hmm. in two years? Like, I don't think that we need to sell the fucking farm in order to become a a middle of the Eastern Conference team. Interesting. So, Bill, would you would you be sad if we got or or disappointed if we got uh, Tobias Harris or Chris Middleton next year? Because it would mean no, probably not. No. Okay. No. No. I mean, you know. I'm I'm ride or die. I'm okay. there for you. I I don't I, I like those guys a lot, and I think that they're fun, and I think they'd be fun to watch, uh, and I think they'd help us be a little bit better. Like, do I think that's the trajectory we need to be on to like get somewhere? Probably not, unless D'Lo takes a massive step. Hmm. Okay. Um, like if D'Lo takes a massive step and Jared Allen continues on sort of the trajectory he's on, then we'd have. A, an amazing point guard, a really good center for the league currently as it's currently constructed, and then a two or four who is also really good. And then you fill in spots around it, and yeah, you could make a little noise, but like at ultimately in the East, like Philadelphia and Boston are just and and the Bucks with Giannis, like they've got to be yeah, the, in there. yeah, I don't know, yeah. And uh, then what if what if Kawhi Leonard um, comes back, is 
the same level he was and is like, you know what? I like being in, in uh, right. they Toronto. They wanted me. They should have cared. This right. Sort of Paul and George then they have a bunch of young guys syndrome. who are playing on the coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're good, you know. Like then, then, then it's like the the idea that the, the stuff that we're developing right now is even vaguely relevant is just absurd. Like the Nets don't have talent like that. Yeah, I I don't know. To me, to me, mid level competitiveness is is basically the mid level competitiveness to me is is. More expensive tickets for no fucking Spit reason. Spit in my face. No. Yeah, you you think that you think that Tobias Harris is gonna is gonna is gonna make things more expensive? <laughs> you have got to be no. Kidding. But in if Brooklyn, we're New no, York. but if, if if in Brooklyn we are struggling to make the playoffs and there is two months left in the season and we are in playoff in the playoff hunt, tickets could be. More expensive. I do not buy it because you and I, I went to cheap. those games. You and I went to those games when we had fucking Kevin Garnett <laughs> and and uh, you know Joe Joe Johnson, Joe Johnson uh, Paul Pierce. Yeah, we went to those games. We went to several Deron of those Williams. games. And we were we were much less committed to the Nets at that point. The Nets, um, unless they get a huge superstar, will never be interesting. Well, I want a superstar. Okay. Well, that I do too. I want a superstar. I do too. I don't want to be hey, in a position so where I'm like, me. kill, kill I me. want I a superstar. Yeah. I mean, I would love Zion Williamson too. I'm just not sure how we get it. Where are we at here? Ooh, oh, boy, that's God. a long dong. We have a long dong crossed an hour. Uh... Thank you for bringing these four locos. I think that they <laughs> they have have definitely impacted the way this this podcast has gone down. Sure, um, folks out there, if you're listening, <laughs> and thank you for getting to this point. Yeah, podcast, thank you. Uh, we do appreciate it. Yeah, right? and uh, well, where can they find? Oh, us? Oh, sorry, at. Um, no longer at MaybeNetsTime.com. Uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MaybeNetsTime. And, and audio boom at boom. Gmail, and audio boom boom. <laughs> and at uh, MaybeNetsTime at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to have a third voice in the constant debate that is Bill and I's differing <laughs> visions for an ideal Nets team. Both pretty not... Amazing. Like both, both of us right. are pretty... Right. Either mediocre or right. bad, I think, is our hope for right. the team. For the next five years. Right. Is it mediocre? Is it terrible? <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it so much. And we'll go ahead. And... See ya! Next time! I was tired of my lady We'd been together too long like a worn out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. And in the personal columns, there was this letter I read. If you like Pina Colada.